Father, thank you for who you are. A God of infinite love, mercy, grace. A God who gives freedom. Lord God, here we are. We ask that we would hear your voice speaking to us in a way that sets our hearts free to love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. There was a blizzard outside. There was a lot of snow, but the authorities were intent that they had to take care of this issue. They went to the home. They began pounding on the door. Then they discovered something. Roger Williams had escaped three days before. He had gone out. He wasn't in good health, but he had gone out into this blizzard, and he had begun a trek through the forest. Day after day, he trekked through the forest, through the blizzard, through this intense winter weather. He would stay in a hollow of a tree at night. He said that the ravens provided food for him. I don't know exactly what that meant, if he was eating ravens or if he was getting brought food by the ravens. But Roger Williams continued this for 14 weeks until finally he came across a Native American Indian tribe that he was, they were, he, he began trying to share the gospel with them. And as he did that, I think they recognized who needed the most help in the situation. And so they took him in, and for that winter, they sheltered him there in their camp. And Roger Williams went on and managed to start something in Rhode Island. He was on a mission specifically looking for freedom. He wanted to establish something where people could truly be free. It's fascinating when you you look at what takes place. We looked at Revelation chapter 12, and I wanted to invite you to go there again. And we look at how there's this pure church in Revelation chapter 12 that's revealed as as the persecuted church. The, the, The dragon actually uses what Christian history tends to look at as the main church, uses that church to persecute anybody who is willing to simply live by the Bible. And, and we read about how the Waldensians fled up into the Alps and how there were Christians in Scotland. There were Christians who were in various places that were sheltered in the wilderness. And we read how the woman was sheltered in the wilderness, nourished by God. But I want you to notice something really exciting here. Now remember, this happened for 1260 years. We've talked about this from 538 AD until 12, uh, sorry, 538 until 1798. Hopefully I can do my math correctly today. 538 was when the church really gained that civil authority and they began, like we talked about last week, to misrepresent God in heinous and terrible ways. It's sad to look at what our Christian church did to the world in representing a God who who needed to be appeased. A, A God who, if you gave him enough money, then maybe he wouldn't torture you as long in purgatory or your family as long in purgatory. A, a God who required you to whip yourself. A God who required you to, to join a monastery and to, to, to pray for hours on a hard cement floor just to hopefully be heard by this God. A God who required you to pray through saints rather than going to Jesus. A God who was distant. A God who tormented people for eternity, for one lifetime of not following him. This, this terrible picture was, was what was taking place during this time in the pure church we read about how they shared the gospel. This isn't who God really is. And then you find this fascinating thing in verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away 
by the flood. Now a flood in, in the Bible, Isaiah 59, 19 says that uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up the standard against him. So this is persecution. The, the, the church did whatever it took to persecute the true church. They would send out crusades. They would send out uh, the Inquisition. They would do whatever it takes to stop the gospel from being shared, the Bible from being shared. But then notice what happens. Verse 16, But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Okay, so here's the amazing thing. The people began... For instance, in England, they were excited about the Reformation, and you see that the Reformation takes hold in England, but then England begins to set up this, this church that looks a whole lot like the medieval church. It has a, a king that is far too involved. It, it has many of the same ceremonies and things that are, are distancing people from God. And so you find groups of people who are just looking, where in the world can we possibly go? to find refuge. And and this says that the earth offered the opportunity. Now, if we connect this, this connects directly to to chapter 13. We read Revelation chapter uh, uh, 13. We read all the way through verse 10 last week. Now we're in verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of where? The earth. Do you see the connection here? The earth helped the woman, right? So in this same time period, if you look at, at this, this time period that's mentioned seven times in the Bible, sometimes it's called 42 months, other times it's called uh, times, times, and half a times, other times it says 1260 days, but with a day for a year principle, that's 1260 years from 538 AD until 1798, when in 1798, we looked at last week, when because of all of this baggage that the church had built up around God. There's this reaction against the church. And the guillotine begins to be brought against the church. And the priests are put to death. And the king is put to death. And the wealthy are put to death in France in the revolution. And eventually Napoleon sends his general to Rome and he goes and he takes the Pope from his place there, the the, the leader of the medieval church, and he takes him and he puts him in prison. Takes away his civil authority. And we read last week how the, the sea beast represented this, this church and that the sea beast received this mortal wound that would later be healed. So in the context of this, actually let's jump back one verse to, to give us the time frame of where we're at right now. If you look at verse 10, it says, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Right? So who was the one putting people in prison for 1,260 years? It was the church that was the greatest persecuting power. And then it goes on to say, He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. The church put some estimates that 50 million people were killed in the Dark Ages. But that reacted and came back on the church in the French Revolution. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. This is pinpointing that time period where the end of the 1260 years happened. So right in that time period, we should expect, because notice the very next words, then I saw another beast coming up. So, so this is sequential saying, okay, first there's the sea beast, but then after that, rising up from the earth, I saw another beast. And beast representing another kingdom, another power. And notice what it says about this power. It says, I saw another beast, and where is it coming up? 
It comes up out of the earth. Now, this is totally different from what you see of the other kingdoms. One, you see the sea beast rising up out of the sea at the beginning of chapter 13. But if you tie this into Daniel chapter 7, where you see Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, all represented by the beasts that we talked about last week, where did they rise up out of? The sea. And you see the winds of strife blowing on the sea. They all came from a tumultuous sea, whereas this beast rises up on the earth. Now in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, it says that the, multi, the, the, that the waters which the harlot sat on represent peoples and multitudes. So if the sea represents a multitude of people, these beasts, all of these kingdoms came up around the Mediterranean basin. And they, how, did, how did Medo-Persia take over Babylon? You remember? Through, yeah, they, they, they rerouted the Euphrates River and they overtook Babylon by force. Then you have the, the Medes and the Persians are, are ruling for a while and then you have Alexander the Great comes along and he fights with Darius the Mede. And even though Darius has way more soldiers, like a million, and I think I, Alexander the Great had in the hundreds of thousands, I believe it was like, a, don't quote me, about a tenth. Alexander the Great overcame him, and Greece became the next power. And then it was divided to his four generals, who then were overcome by the Roman Empire, who then you have the, the, the tribes of Europe dividing out from there. So all of those took place by battles, by force. Those, all of those victories, you know, one kingdom came up in power because... They killed enough people. They defeated the army of the other kingdom. Does this make sense? Are we tracking at all? Okay. So, so these kingdoms all had to come up in the way that most world kingdoms have come up. They come by destroying or another army or by winning a battle. But this beast is different. Notice what it says. It, one, we've noticed that it's coming up around the time of 1798. It's coming up from the earth, not from the sea where is multitudes of people, but it's coming up from the earth where you have a place that's sparsely populated. And as it says it's coming up, notice that it says, when it says coming up, the word there is the same that's used by Jesus in a parable talking about the four different types of soil, talking about as a plant grows up. So, so rather than overcoming with conquest, this this beast is springing up it's growing it ex- it expresses a young kingdom and it expresses a peaceful way of coming about and then notice what it goes on to say this is so beautiful don't miss this okay this is one of the most important parts it says i saw the beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb ah this is this is amazing because a lamb in bible prophecy Uh, in Revelation is used 29 different times. Lamb is used. And every single time, except for this time, it's referring directly to Jesus. This time, though, it's wanting us to know that, that whatever power this is, it's going to have characteristics that are a lot like Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. Okay, so we're connecting the dots here. Let's see if we can come up with 
with what this power would be. Coming up around the time of 1798, coming up in a part of the world that is sparsely populated, that would be the new world instead of the old world. It's coming up not by massive conquest, although there may have been some conquest there, not by defeating some massive kingdom, but instead establishing a new kingdom. What, or kingdom's not even the word for it, what would this be around 1798? You historian buffs, what came into power around 1798? What happened in 1776? The Declaration of Independence, right? You remember the United States of America. You know, after this morning's message, I had somebody tell me, I thought the United States of America wasn't even mentioned in Bible prophecy. It is. It is. I think it is so incredibly clear. And once you see this, you can't unsee it. It is such an astounding thing. And, and if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you've heard this before, you might be thinking, yeah, 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 I know that. But this is an incredible reality that, that people didn't recognize for centuries. People recognized in the Protestant Reformation that the sea beast represented the medieval uh, Roman Catholic Church. That, that was clear to them, and many people had brought that out. But it wasn't until 1851 that a guy by the name of J.N. Andrews, he's writing, and he's writing, he's studying through Revelation 13, and some people had pointed out that, hey, you know, Protestants, they've become a lot like what they protested against. They've, they've, they've laid down a lot of the distinctives. They're really not that separated from the state. Really, maybe this is talking about Protestants. So they'd kind of been heading that direction, but he was the first one who said, no, 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 this power is the United States of America. And think about what happened. You have in the 1600s, these people who, uh, the Puritans, they headed from England, they, they found some refuge in Holland, and then eventually they said, We're just going to go across the Atlantic and see what that new world could have for us. See what we might find there. See if we can establish a place where there can be religious freedom. And so they came to the United States of America and they they founded colonies here in the United States of America. And, And just think about the principal documents. Now, one, one other important thing when you're thinking about this. Notice the difference in the horns here in chapter 13, verse 11, versus what we saw in the sea beast. Do you remember what the sea beast horns had on it? Each, each horn of the ten horns had crowns on them. And that represented that there's a king there, right? There's, there's this secular power there. But these horns come up, and there's two horns. They're lamb-like, and there is no crown on them. There's no king involved in this story, which we can be thankful for. Lamb-likeness. Does that apply to the United States of America? Well, if you read two, two documents, the founding document, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution, I would say a hearty yes. The United States of America represents the lamb in, in amazing ways. Now, if you're thinking, the the America I see today doesn't really look like Jesus, stick with me for a minute, okay? So the Declaration of Independence, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Ah! Does that sound like Jesus? Galatians chapter 3, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. 
They're all created equal. And, and, and this is self-evident. We look at somebody and just because they look different, just because they've had a different upbringing, just, it doesn't matter. We recognize that they have an innate value that is equal to ours. That's what the founding fathers are saying here. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Everybody has rights that should not be able to be taken away from them. How many of you want to live in a country like that? You, where everybody has rights, everybody is able to experience freedom. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Oh man, if you want to look somewhere to see what Jesus is like, besides the Bible, here's a beautiful place to look. The God of the universe operates on a consent basis. He, he wants for you to choose him. A, a God who has infinite power, omnipotence, and he says, would you choose me? You want to follow me? And in Revelation 22, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. If anyone wants to drink, come and drink freely of the water of life. Everybody's invited. Everybody is welcome. That's the way God works. And he's not interested in choosing for you. Just think about when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He wanted them to have a voting booth. Did he not? He's like, okay, here is one option for you. I'm going to put this tree here and I'm going to let my arch nemesis come in here and tell you lies about me. But I really hope you don't believe him. I really hope that you won't eat from that tree. I really hope you'll trust me. And he gave them freedom because love requires freedom. All of you husbands know that love requires freedom. If your wife really loves you, then you didn't propose to her and get down on one knee with a pistol behind your back and say, will you marry me? Right? You had a ring behind your back. You hoped to entice her. You hoped to, to woo her heart. And that's how God works. It's amazing. But that's not how the sea beast works. The sea beast, the sea beast worked by saying, you're a heretic, you're going to burn, and we're going to force you to go to church on a certain day, and we are going to enforce religion upon you. And throughout the Dark Ages, that's what church was like. That's what the state, that's how the state operated. But not in a lamb-like beast, right? So we see, on the one hand here, we see a Republican republicanism as a key property here. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying republican. I'm saying republicanism, uh, which represents a republic that doesn't have a king over it, right? That is, is by the just representation of the people. So that's the Declaration of Independence. Now that we have the First Amendment of the con- Constitution, which the Constitution is the govern the, the, um, the document that, that, that shows the governing authority, right? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. These are the two key factors of the United States' freedom. On the one hand, you have liberty of conscience. You are free to worship God in any way that you choose. That was what was written into the Constitution. And on the other hand, you are free to participate. You have civil 
liberty. Freedom from a king who is just a a, a tyrannical leader. And freedom from a pope who tells you what you have to believe. That's what the United States founded. And that's what the Puritans found refuge in when they came here to the United States. And Roger Williams was one of the first who advocated for church and state separation. And he advocated that that liberty of conscience was essential. And he said, look, there's the first six, the first four commandments have to do with our affection for God and our, our, our commitment to God. But the second tablet of the Ten Commandments has to do with dealing with other people. And that is what, where the government comes in when man is dealing with man. I wish that the prophecy about America stopped right here. Because when I hear this, patriotism rises up in me. I get excited about the United States of America. I think, wow, maybe I am proud to be an American because freedom is such a beautiful thing. Freedom of conscience, freedom, civil freedom for everybody. But the verse keeps going. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Okay, so so here you have a power that is represented by a lamb. I mean, you think about a lamb. It's, it's the sweetest creature, the creature that you would love to run up and pet. To have, I love for my daughters to get to, to pet a lamb, to play with a lamb. And then this juxtaposition, this is the only verse in Scripture that does this, that juxtaposes these two side by side. It says you have the lamb and you have the dragon, the, the fiercest creature that is in the Bible, this fire-breathing monster that represents Satan himself. It says that, that this beast will speak like a dragon. And and notice, you know, a lot of times reading this prophecy, I thought, well, and this is going to take place at some point in the future, but it doesn't say that. It says it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. Do you know who Roger Williams was running from? Do you know who was pounding on his door? It wasn't the English army. It wasn't some other nation. You see, what had taken place in the colonies was when the Puritans got here, they said, well, we want our religious freedom to worship the way that we want. And we want to make sure that nobody else worships anyway, but the way that we want to worship. So the only people that can vote in this new republic that we're forming are Members of our Puritan church. And Roger Williams began to say, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Everybody needs to be a part of this. We need to invite everybody. We need to give equal rights to everybody. They began to say how dangerous his teachings were. You know, there's some other things that upset them about him. He was looking at, at, it was taking place by the colonies and they were taking some land from the indigenous peoples, the Native American Indians, without paying for it. He said, that's wrong. We've we've got to pay for the land. We've got to to reimburse people. And he, he wouldn't have it. And so he began to head to off off on that amazing journey through that blizzard to find a place where he could establish freedom for real. You know, America became such an incredible power 
because of these principles that are in the founding documents. Uh, I love uh, how it says in the Great Controversy, page 296, it says, The feeble and isolated colonies grew to a confederation of powerful states, and the world marked with wonder the peace and prosperity of a church without a pope and a state without a king, a place with true freedom. Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. Republicanism and Protestantism. The oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to these land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations of the earth. Great Controversy, page 441. This nation became such a powerful place because it offered those freedoms. And yet, in the midst of that, you find it speaking like a dragon. You find that they're not giving liberty to everybody, only those who thought like they thought. And that they were taking land from Indians, from the the indigenous people. Great Controversy also says this, page 297. The regulation adopted by the early colonists of permitting only members of the church to vote or to hold office in the civil government, led to the most pernicious results. Wikipedia, talking about Roger Williams, says that contact with the Narragansett Indians had caused him to question the validity of the colonial charters that did not include legitimate purchase of Indian land. He said, this isn't right. This isn't how things should be. We have to establish a place where everybody experiences freedom, including the indigenous people that are here around us. Let's buy the land from them. And so when he went on his journey up to Rhode Island, he found the Indian tribes there that owned some land and he bought the land from them. And then the colonists came over and they're like, no, 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 that's our land. They didn't know what they were talking about. And so he moved across the river and he bought more land from the Indians and he established his colony there that began to thrive on these two principles of, on which freedom is based. If only we clung more fully to those incredible words that all men are created equal, that it's by the consent of the governed. If only we stuck consistently to religious freedom and equality for all. But look at what takes place in verse 12 of chapter 13. It says, and he exercises all the authority of the beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now notice this, this is exactly mirroring what took place with the dragon and the sea beast. In Revelation chapter 13, it says that the dragon gave his place, his seat, and his authority to the sea beast, representing the medieval church that began to misrepresent God in entirety. So here, you notice what it's saying. It's saying that he exercises all the authority of the first beast, which was given to him by who? The dragon, representing Satan. He exercises it in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, I've always thought of this as like it's actually going to for sure cause everybody to be focused on that first beast. But if you look at what's happening in Revelation chapter 13, Earlier on when it says that they worship the dragon, how many people in the medieval church, in the the Middle Ages, were actually having seances for Satan and worshiping Satan and actually thought that they were worshiping the dragon? But it says that he caused them to worship the dragon. 
So now when it says that, that the United States will cause the sea beast to be worshipped, it, it's referring to the same principles, the same ideologies are going to be embraced by this country. Now if you have any questions about this, there's an incredible book that I've, I've quoted several times from today, The Great Controversy that goes through the history of this. And if you read the chapter um, on... on uh, sorry, I'm, it's fading for me at the moment. On the, uh, the uh, it's a long word for never ending, the perpetuity of the law. If you read that chapter, the immutability of the law, maybe that's what it is. Anyway, if you read that chapter, ask me what it is later and I can find it for you. It goes through this in detail, talking about comparing scripture with scripture, looking at this analysis of history of what's going to take place with the United States of America. And it's saying that these same principles these same principles of, of teaching that, that God is a God who needs to be appeased. And, and what we need is for the state to work with the church in order to force people into a form of worship that will appease this God. That is the picture that we find unfolding in the end. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now notice he's telling them, let's make an image to the beast. Let's make a replica of what the beast has done. Let's do the same thing here. Let's unite church and state in a way that we can make sure that religion happens in this nation. And so as you and I go to vote... These are the types of things that we need to be very leery of. The things that we need to be watching out for. The things that need our antennas need to go up. How is this bond between church and state evolving in our nation today? Because what the Bible reveals is that the problem is going to come from the United States of America. I know that sounds like a really unpatriotic thing to say. But I can't walk away as your pastor this morning and not tell you that the problem in the world today, that the future that's going to cause so much problem with the mark of the beast and all of that, that it comes from the United States of America. And I love the United States of America. I love our founding documents. They are beautiful. And I can say, God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her. Please, God. Would you help her to stick to those founding principles of freedom and equality for all? Second Thessalonians, you remember, it, it showed us what the, the mode of the sea beast was and what the intent of Satan is in, in raising up these beast powers. Let's go to it again. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says it this way. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Satan's modus operandi in the end is to misrepresent God to the world. And sadly, he uses the United States to do that. Because although it has lamb-like horns, 
it speaks like a dragon. This, this beautiful thing that, that the United States should be guided by the consent of those who are governed. That's what our founding fathers said. They said, okay, the governed should be able to consent to being guided, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I looked something up in, in studying this. Did you know? Okay, so this is in the, the 1600s, the, the Declaration of Independence, and, and, and the, the Constitution comes in the end of the 1700s. You would have to fast forward into the 1800s till I think it was 1868 before I would be able to vote. Did you catch that? So while they say that, yeah, this is our founding principles, that we want everybody to consent to what we're doing. Well, here's the deal. If you don't own property, you can't vote. And that's the way it was until 1868. I would not have been able to vote because I own no property. That's not a smart thing, but I don't own any property, right? I wouldn't have been able to vote, but, but not just me. And, and this isn't the most heinous thing that was going on. You know, in 1851, when, when Jay and Andrews is, is studying this and he studies out and says the United States really is this beast, he says, because what other land has such beautiful principles of freedom and yet is, so, is filled with such oppression and slavery. Here we are, the country who, our founding fathers who, who wrote this beautiful thing that we're all created equal, that everybody should have the same rights. Two-thirds of them owned slaves and profited off of the free labor of those who were their captives. Revelation says that those who are who hold people captive, take people captive, will be led into captivity. It's never a good idea to take away people's free rights. But you fast forward on and you, you look at, at, at when voting rights began to, t- to take place in, uh, in, in our history. So it would have taken me till 1868. Do you know, those of you who are ladies, when you would have finally gotten to vote? When did women's suffrage happen? 1920. How many ladies here think that you are an important part of what is governed by the United States of America? Yeah? Okay. Me too. And I hope your husbands agree with me, right? I think that your opinion is important. I think that it's valuable. And yet, a country that proposed freedom, that said everybody's created equal, didn't look at women as if they had any right to vote. But it's worse than that. If you look at what happened with those who had been freed from slavery finally. They weren't given the right to vote uh, in, in all of its uh, freedom, really, until you have the Voting Rights Act in 1965. We did that with the Chinese. We did it with those of Asian descent. We did it with those from Japan. We did it with the Native Americans. We did it with the Spanish. We did it with basically everybody. That's not freedom. That's dragon talk. Because that's the way that Satan works. He works through oppression. He works through misrepresenting God. Saying, here's a Christian nation that operates on my principles, and oh, by the way, you don't count. That's exactly how Satan works. I'm so thankful that there's an answer to this. Notice back in Revelation chapter 13. 
back in verse 10. It says, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience of the saints. Right? So, so there's going to be people who are killing with a sword who will be killed with a sword. There are those who are leading into captivity who will be led into captivity. But here's the patience, the endurance of the saints. Meaning, here's those who are unwilling to participate with that system who say, no, no, no. I am patriotic in the sense that I cling to what the Founding Fathers actually wrote. I cling to the true gospel that God operates by freedom and by love, by non-coercive love. That's what the world desperately needs to see. It needs to see the reality of who God really is. You know Muhammad Ali, the boxer, the famous boxer? I was watching this interview where he was talking about how he went to, to the Olympics in Rome. And in the Olympics in Rome, he fought and he defeated the, the Russians and the Poles got uh, second and third place. And he said, I remember being there and I was standing on that podium, first place, world champion at the Olympics. And I watched the American flag as it's being raised. And I, I was so proud as I heard our national anthem being played. And I thought, Look at this. I just won for America against some of our worst of enemies in this time. This is the 1960s, I believe. And Russia and Poland, some of, some of the, 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 the most intense enemies of the United States. And so he said, I got that big old gold medal that I had. And I put it around my neck. And when I went home three days later, I, got to, I went to my hometown. And I said, you know what? I'm going downtown and I'm going out to eat to celebrate. So he walked into a restaurant, and he sat down at the table, and the the waiter came over. And he said, ah, a cup of coffee and a hot dog. The lady said, we don't serve Negroes. And he said, I was so mad, I said, I don't eat them either. Just give me a cup of hot coffee and a hamburger. You know, I said, I'm the Olympic gold medalist won three days ago. I fought for this country in Rome. I won the gold medal and I'm going to eat. I heard her tell the manager and he said, well, I'm not, I'm not the man. He's got to go. And anyway, I didn't fight it. They put me out and I had to leave that restaurant in my hometown where I went to church and served in their Christianity and my daddy fought in all their wars I just won a gold medal for them, and I couldn't eat downtown. And I said, something's wrong. And from then on, I've been a Muslim. Friends, do you wonder why there's so many Muslims in the world today? Maybe it's because we've misrepresented Jesus. Maybe we need to stop pointing the finger at other people and say, have I really given them the opportunity to have the freedom that the gospel offers to them? Maybe the, the fault lies with me. Last verse we'll look at in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing about the last days, he says this, and you know, I look around at the world today and I say, no, 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 no. hang on, Pastor Zach. You're talking about 
the problems with Christianity, but do you realize how crazy the secular world is out there? Do you realize the madness that's going on out there? Do you realize where the problem really lies? It can't be in a Christian nation. That can't be the biggest problem in the world today. You need to preach about something else. Look at what Paul liked to preach about. 2 Timothy chapter 3, talking about the last days. He says this, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. In the last days, there's going to be dangerous times on the planet. You think we're living in dangerous times? I mean, how far from here was it just two days ago that we had another officer being shot at by a white supremacist gang member? Right here in Templeton. This is the third shooting that we've had in four months of officers in our county. We're living in perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves. Are people lovers of themselves? Am I a lover? Am I selfish? The world is getting more and more selfish. Lovers of money. Okay. If if the United States ever had a problem, greed is probably towards the top of that problem. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Ah, who's that talking about? That's talking about all of the secular crazy people out there, right? Oh, wait, we didn't finish the verse. Let's finish reading what it says. What does it go on to say? Lost my place. Second Timothy chapter. Th- okay. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. He says, in the last days, perilous times will, will come because people will have a form of godliness. The church will profess great things, and yet it will be living selfishly. It will be self-focused. It will say, me first. The problem is the world. I need to get the secular power to help me to fix the world. And Paul says, turn away from anything like that because it misrepresents a God of love who wants for everyone to have the opportunity to accept his grace and wants everybody to be able to have their opinion and wants everybody to be able to contribute. That's the picture of who God really is and of what he really wants. He really is a God who values liberty of conscience, who values for us to be able to choose. And he values a separation between church and state. But you know, I just read this two days ago on Fox News. William Barr, the Attorney General, said this, the notion of separation of church and state is misunderstood because of militant secularists. The finger is being pointed at the secularists. The finger is being pointed at the world. The finger is being pointed at everybody but where I need to point the finger at, and that's me. Am I representing Jesus properly? Am I representing the gospel? Am I setting people free around me? And I'll have to tell you, that's not been the history of my life. I remember back in high school where I would drive the 45 minutes from our house up in the foothills of the Sierras down to the little academy that I was going to. And it was a long drive, and I needed something to listen to. And I began to listen to the radio. 
And I began to listen to these messages and, and people began telling me these things and I became really convinced by the things that I was hearing on the radio. So much so that I would write these inflammatory papers to my history and government teacher talking about what, what would fix every problem in the world. And when I look back on it, it was really hateful stuff that I was writing. And I can't believe that I thought that was right. And, and I remember one Christmas, you see, my grandpa was, was there in town for Christmas, and I remember wrapping up a present for him for Christmas. And I remember as he opened that present, and the look on his face was not one of joy. You see, I had gotten a book by the lady that I thought most grilled his political beliefs. And I gave it to him for Christmas to show him what was really right. And I hoped that he would read it so that it would change him so that he would realize that I was right and he was wrong. Is that dragon speak or lamb speak? Who's the accuser of the brethren? Or I remember being in college down in in L.A., and I remember driving along, we're getting on an on-ramp when this, this car comes around me, and it has a bumper sticker on it. Now you have to understand that I also had a bumper sticker on my car. And my bumper sticker was for the current president. And it was in support of this president because I believed that he was the right guy. And this guy had the, the audacity to have on his car something denigrating the president of the United States of America, saying something that I thought was derogatory, that was unkind towards his political affiliation. So you know what I did? I chased him down. I tailgated him. I swerved around him. And I I tried to, to, in every way possible, let him know that he was a worthless human being. (laughs) My girlfriend was terrified. (laughs) What in the world? You're that worked up about politics? Are you serious? Friends, I'm not here to tell you how to vote. I'm here to tell you that we live in a beautiful country that is based on the principle that everybody should be able to vote. That everybody should have a say. That everybody's opinion matters. That the person that you like the least, that you wish weren't a part of this country, that that person's opinion matters. And that God gives them the freedom to speak. And maybe you should too. Maybe I should too. So how do we experience a transformation? Because honestly, if we look at the world, it just makes us upset. It makes us more and more like the dragon. Because he's making this back and forth motion. He's dividing. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. What we're seeing in the world today is just hatred multiplied on every side. And I have to tell you that I'm terrified of what's going to, I shouldn't use the word terrified, but I, I'm terrified on behalf of our country for what might take place this fall. And I hope that I'm totally wrong. I hope that this fall something clear happens and we all can walk away excited that, that God has protected our country again. And let's be praying for that. And let's vote to that end. Let's vote towards lamb-like principles, principles of freedom for religion, principles of freedom for every person of every race and every religion on this planet. But eventually, the Bible reveals that the United States itself will become an oppressive power. And in that day, the solution lies in the endurance of the saints. 
The solution lies in Revelation 14 that goes on to say, these are those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The solution lies in in remembering our founding principles, continuing to look to the Lamb-like principles, continuing to look to the Lamb, continuing to provide for everybody around me justice and liberty for all. Let's look and look and look at the Lamb. Let's look until His heart becomes our heart. Let's ask Him to give us His heart. And let's pray for our enemies. Let's pray for those that that we're afraid of what they're doing in our nation. Let's pray for them. I, for one, want to commit to that. How about you? To say, hey, I'm going to at least just say, hey, God, would you help those in our country? I'm going to pray for those that I'm, 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 I'm not a fan of what they're doing right now. As we close, I just want to invite you to listen to this song um, that focuses us again on that lamb. The lamb who alone is worthy, who doesn't need to be appeased, but who, who is alone worthy. And as we recognize his self-giving, non-coercive love in our lives, as we recognize that he has forgiven us, that grace will set us free to love every person and to give equality and justice to everybody around us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy. It's not about our worthiness or unworthiness, but it's about who you are. Lord, help us to let that forgiving love to soak deep in our hearts so that we can extend it to everyone around us. God, thank you for this incredible country you've given us, that you've given us the freedom to worship in a way that people throughout history have only dreamed about. Lord, thank you for the incredible founding documents that I believe you had your hand in. Father, we pray that as long as possible, these amazing principles of freedom will continue to lead our country. Father, we ask that you would hold back the dragon and all of his intentions to malign your character and to lead us down a path of hurt. We pray that in every way you'd hold that back. And God, I especially pray that you'd hold it back in my heart and in each of our hearts. And that we'd walk out of here not pointing the finger at any person except for to point people to the Lamb. Say, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the God who freely laid down his life for us, who couldn't stand the thought of being without us, who's crazy about us. Thank you for the amazing love you have for me for each one here and for the over 7 billion people on this planet that you came and gave yourself for them. Lord, may our hearts respond in love, a love that spills over into the lives of others around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.